Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Amen. You know, uh, Pastor Leslie and Pastor Josh um, are just amazing. We've seen a lot of cool stuff together. Um, I, I do the kids' ministry here, so family pastor is my title. And I don't know if my wife's in here right now. No. She's probably feeding our, our six-month-old. Um, that baby needs to eat a lot, man. She eats a lot. But, um, yeah, I've known, I've known them for 15 years. I was in their youth group um, called Revolution in El Paso. And one time uh, back in El Paso, I remember we were in worship, and the Spirit of God just fell in a real heavy way. And some of us were just messed up, man. We were messed up. And we were on the floor just crying, um, encountering Jesus. And, you know, the service was well over, and we were just stuck there encountering Jesus. And, you know, I didn't know it at the time, but I found out later there were some people that kind of didn't like that. They were kind of offended by that. But you know what I never heard from from Pastor Josh? I never heard, um, you know, don't do that. Clean up your act, you know, pull yourself together. He always allowed us to passionately pursue the presence of Jesus. And so that's your pastor, and I just love him. I honor him, honor you, Pastor Leslie, and I'm just grateful to be here today. I don't know where I'd be without them, honestly. So overflow is an amazing part of the body of Christ. Um, We're here to encounter the reality of Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. That's the purpose of our gatherings. Um, You can see it happening here on Sunday. You can see it in our community groups. You can see it in unplanned times of just friends together, um, in our disc golf group called Overthrow, because they always throw it too far. Um, yeah, yeah, that's awesome, right? We're, we're considering one another. We're spurring one another on in love and good works. That's why we gather. So today, um, we're talking about love on fire. And so I want to share on living a life of love on fire. And so I'm going to share a few stories of some stuff that Jesus has done recently and in the past. And the reason why I'm sharing these stories is not to say, hey, look, look at me, look what I've done but to tell you, look what you can do. Because if I, if I can do it, you most definitely can. Uh, you know, I'm not really an extrovert. You might be able to tell. <laughs> um, but I, I still step out and do it. So, But lately, I've gotten really busy. Um, something about having five kids, an infant, and four kids in homeschool, and working full-time, and, and being a family pastor, for some reason, that means you're busy. But um, even though I'm feeling more productive and more fulfilled than I've ever done or ever been, um, I'm still really busy. And, but that busyness doesn't excuse me from, from living the life that Jesus called me to. So we can't have an excuse to say, well, I don't have any time, because we're called to live a life of love. In uh, the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. So with that in mind, 
I was thinking, I was thinking, am I growing in the things that God has for me? Am I really excelling and um, giving my all to what God's handed to me? And I wasn't so sure. And if you're not sure, then it, then it might not be the case. So I decided I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to do some of the things that God has built up in my life um, intentionally again, just to build them up, make sure that they're strong, make sure that they're as they're supposed to be. You know, I don't ever want to get up here and share just out of something that I read one time or something that I heard, just regurgitate what somebody said. I want to give you guys something that's real in my life, because if it's real in my life, you can reproduce it in yours. Um, So I started, I decided, okay, what can I do? I decided I want to be intentional about the things that God's given me. So I said, I'm going to take a day of the week and start taking out a couple of my kids with me and just go out regularly and look for people to share the love of Jesus with. Um, That was my primary motivation for going out. So we're not going out just to have fun or just um, to go shopping or whatever, but to share Jesus with somebody. In Second uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, it says, But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So Paul was writing to his spiritual son, Timothy, and he was telling him, Be watchful, endure, do work, actually be about the ministry that you've been given. Because we can have a ministry calling or we can have a, a ministry title but it's another thing to actually be fulfilling it, to be living it out. And so it's important we don't let things slip, that we do and fulfill what we're called to on a day-to-day basis. Uh, When Paul wrote, be watchful, watchfulness means looking for what God is doing. It means staying connected to his heart. It means looking around you with his eyes of love. We have the opportunity and the chance to see what God wants to do in every situation. And uh, that's one of the things I appreciate about my, about my friend Benny over here. He's like, I always see him looking, and I can tell he's looking with the Father's eyes, and it's awesome. It's easy to get our eyes on ourselves instead of on Jesus and what he wants to do. It's easy to be self-focused, um, self-obsessed, selfies, you know, yeah. just all day long. But we want to get our eyes off of ourselves and onto Jesus. So we started going out again intentionally. Um, it hap- you know, God encounters God moments. They happen in our lives. But I want it to be something that's growing, that's developing. Uh, so we decided to be intentional. Not just waiting for opportunities, but, but seizing opportunities, finding opportunities, taking opportunities. So uh, one of the things we did this past Thursday is we went to the harvest field, Walmart. Walmart's the harvest field. I'm a Target man. I like Target. But I find that the harvest is really ripe in Walmart for some reason. So we decided we're going to go to Walmart. You know, in John chapter 4, verse 35, it says, Jesus is talking, and he says, Do you not say, there are still four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Sometimes we pray for God to send the harvest to us, and God's saying, go get it. 
Go get it, son. There is a go in the gospel. If you want to see the harvest, sometimes you just got to go. So, there we are, are on a Thursday. It's me and my son, Josiah. He's eight-year-old. Uh, and Micaiah, he's four years old. And we're heading to Walmart, to the harvest field, to share Jesus. But before we get there, we decided to go to Starbucks. <laughs> and so while we're there, we had a little Bible study time. Um, and when I say Bible study time, it's with an eight-year-old who loves Minecraft and Legos. He's probably thinking about that. And then a four-year-old who just loves to laugh. So he's probably taking everything I say and making it a joke and just laughing about it. If you know Micaiah, you know that's true. So it was a really simple study. We just took a few scriptures and talked about the life that Jesus is calling us to. And um, so I'm going to include you guys in that Bible study today, okay? So I've been camping in the book of John. When I say camping, I mean I'm, I'm stuck there. I can't move on for some reason. Um, I heard somebody say one time, you know, don't just read the word, let the, read, let the word read you. And so that's what I want to do. I don't want to just memorize the book. I don't want to just know all about it. I want to become it. I want to live it out. So I, I'm stuck there right now. I could just read or listen to the book of John all day long. It's amazing. I can't get over it. You just look at Jesus in the gospel. He's so amazing. He's so beautiful. Um, if you've ever thought about the kindness of Jesus, it just staggers me sometimes. Like, Let's just take a second and think about it. I could be destined for hell. I could just be full of myself, self-obsessed, living for myself. I've done that before. Any of you guys done that before? It's miserable. It's not a good day. But here I am, standing in front of you guys, full of the Spirit of God. God calls us sons and daughters. He calls us holy, righteous, redeemed. And it's not even by our own works. It's by the works of Jesus. That is really kind. That I can't get over of. I was full of greed, covetousness, pride, lust, fear. Probably so many more things I couldn't even recognize all of them. But he decided to take all of that on his own body on the cross and free me and fill me with himself and put me in him. I'm in him and he's in me. Are you kidding me? That's incredible. So anyways, I'm in the book of John. And we were in uh, John chapter 5. You got it already? Wow, you guys are awesome. Who's back there? Hi, thank you. Verse 4, it says, For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity, 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. So imagine this pool of water is right 
here before us, and there's these steps. And in order for this man to be healed, he has to get down the steps when the water is stirred by the angel first before anybody else. He just has to step down. But the trouble is he's stuck in this bed. So here's this man who's stuck. He's stuck in a religious system. The system that he's in is saying, get in the water first after the angel stirs it and you'll be healed. It requires you to perform. You got to be there at the right time. You got to wait. You got to see it first and you got to get in first. This man has been in this condition a long time, 38 years. Uh, the, Bible, the Bible doesn't say how long he'd been waiting, but we can guess it was a while. And then Jesus comes and asks him if he wants to be healed. And the man is probably thinking, well, there's no one to help me in the water. He doesn't have any friends. He doesn't have any family. There's nobody caring for him. He's stuck on this mat waiting to be healed waiting to be the first one to crawl over into the water. Somebody that can walk is going to step down before him because he can't. See, religion, it has no mercy for your inability. If you can't perform in the system of religion, it leaves you without an answer. You're just stuck. This man thought probably that Jesus was asking about his ability to get in the water. He thought he was saying, don't you want to be healed, son? Why don't you just get in? And isn't that our view of God sometimes? We think God is saying, you know, if you just do this and this and this, if you just pull yourself together, if you just get your act together, if you would just go to church regularly, if you would just read your Bible every day, you haven't been performing, so I'm angry with you. And then something goes wrong in our lives and we blame it on God. We say it's God's fault. When Jesus is the one that said the thief is the one that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. John 10.10. He says the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. God is not a thief. This man is thinking, yeah, I'd love to be healed. Of course, who wouldn't? But I cannot perform in the system. I'm stuck. And then Jesus says to him something incredible. He says, rise, take up your bed and walk. And just like that, he was healed. Religion will have you waiting to walk for the rest of your life. But Jesus says the time is now. Jesus will walk right up to you in the middle of your mess and say, hey, it's time for healing and it's now. Walk. It's time to walk out of your sin. It's time to walk out of your shame. It's time to walk out of condemnation and lies and anxiety and fear and sickness and doubt. Religion wants you to wait. It wants you to perform. But Jesus will take a wrench, throw it right into your religious system, and he'll do the work for you. That man, he didn't even know who Jesus was. You read on in the chapter. 
you'll see he, didn't, he wasn't even sure who healed him. They asked him. He's like, I don't know. So he wasn't full of faith for healing if he didn't even know that this was Jesus, the healer. Right, right. Jesus just walked right up into his situation, had compassion on him, and healed him. And then Jesus went on his way. Yeah. That's your Jesus. Yeah. That's my Jesus. Yeah. He is so good. So you read on in John 5. I'm not going to read it right now because I got a lot of notes and not a lot of time. But the religious system, they even got upset at the method of healing because it was the Sabbath. Jesus didn't do it according to their rules and regulations. You see, religion forfeits the love of God for a method. But Jesus will walk into your mess, offend your religious sensibility, and he will leave you healed. He is good. So there we are, me and my boys, sitting outside of Starbucks, talking about this stuff, these verses. Makai's being silly and telling jokes, trying to run around. Josiah's halfway listening. But he's also wondering, you know, how long are we going to be here for? I'd really like to go home and play with my Legos. But we talked about these verses. And I told him, guys, Jesus wants to touch people today around us and through us, and that's why we're going to go to the harvest field. That's why we're going to Walmart. So we prayed a quick prayer. It was just like, Jesus, move through us. Thank you that you live in us. Thank you that you are going to touch people today. And that was basically it. And then we went to Walmart. And then it was a little intimidating in there, so we wandered around a bit, got over ourselves, got over our fear, and we spotted somebody in a scooter you know, with the little basket and everything. If you see a scooter or a cane or a walker, that's a free word of knowledge that somebody needs healing. So we're kind of tailing her for a little bit. And and she stops in the birthday decoration aisle. And I finally say, excuse me. And she thought I was saying to get out of my way that she was in the way. So I'm like, no, 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 you don't have to move. I'm sorry, I apologize. Actually, I just wanted to ask you something. And she said yes. And I usually say, uh, I'm a believer in Jesus. I've been seeing him do a lot of cool stuff. Could I pray for you for a quick second? Because I don't want people to think that I'm going to pray for the next 20 minutes for them or that I'm, gonna, or that I'm telling them I'll pray for you when I get home. You know. So I just wanted to know, I want to pray for you, but I'm not going to take up the rest of your, di- your afternoon. So she said yes. I asked her for a little more information. You know, I said, why are you in the scooter? And she started telling us um, it was a problem with her legs and swelling and nerve pain because of diabetes. Um, So I called Josiah and Makai over. They were looking at the birthday decorations because Sayla's birthday is coming up and she loves unicorns. So they were pointing out all the unicorns. I was like, come on, guys, refocus, reassess, come over here. So they put their hands on her legs, and I put my hands on her shoulder. And I had them repeat after me a prayer, because they know how to pray, but a lot of times they get nervous, and then they forget how to pray. (laughs) Me too, probably. So I just said, Father, in Jesus' name, and they repeated it. And we just said, "Um, pain, leave. I had asked her, like on a scale of 1 to 10, how bad was the pain? 
And she said it was about a five. So we said, five, go to zero in Jesus' name. Amen. Then we took our hands off. And one of the coolest things that you can do when you're praying for healing is you can move from just praying to expecting a result. And when I started expecting a result in my life, things started happening. And so what we've learned to do is just to ask them if it feels any different and have them test it out. So I asked her, you know, does it feel any different? You said it was a five before. How is it now? And so she starts moving her legs around. And she's like, you know, it's weird. There's no pain. She said it always hurt. It was always a five, at least a five. So then I said, would you mind standing and, and trying to make it hurt? And so she's like, sure. <laughs> she's standing up and she's trying to make it hurt. It doesn't hurt anymore. So we just got to love on her, give her a hug, share the love of Jesus with her. She was a believer. You know, a lot of times, us as believers, um, we love Jesus, we love the church, but things just start happening and things just get really hard. And for, so for you to encourage another believer to walk into their world and to love on them can just change the course of their lives. You have no idea. Um, so we started wandering around again in Walmart trying to find another person. And there was another person in a scooter. So I, I talked to him. He was a, a vet, just a real awesome guy, a veteran, not a veterinarian. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so I asked him, you know, why he was in the scooter. And he said that there was a, a vertebrae in his back that was crushed. So it was just in constant pain, really bad, probably like an 8 out of 10. And that's with his high pain tolerance. So we prayed for him twice. Um, the first time it lessened, and the second time there wasn't any change. Um, but the thing is, when you pray for someone, when you bless them, even if you don't see the full manifestation of healing right then, it'll really touch them. Like I saw his eyes fill with tears. He felt loved. He felt cared for. He felt the love of Jesus. And you never have to walk away from a situation where you don't see it happen completely or even at all with doubt or with loss, a sense of a loss. You can walk away believing for that person. And that's what I always do, you know. I, was, I just went away from that situation saying, you know, Father, thank you for Roy. Thank you that you love him. Thank you for coming and touching his back today. I just declare full healing over his back, God, that he would walk in healing and wholeness, and that he would fill your Holy Spirit today, that you would pursue him with your love. You never know what God is going to do with just a mustard seed of faith. When we uh, first moved here to the Metroplex, um, one Sunday after church, we went to a burger place, and I forgot it again. What's it called? Mixed up burgers. Really good food, by the way. You can tell I've been eating it. Uh, <laughs> when we walked in there, there was a woman in a wheelchair. And I really, it's not that I felt led to uh, pray for her. Because in that case, I would feel led to everybody. Because anytime I see somebody that needs healing, I'm like, man, I want to go for it. So you don't have to feel some special leading. But it was just compassion for her that I felt. And so after I debated with myself for like 10 minutes, I asked her if I could pray for her. 
And she said yes. So I said, awesome. Are you, are you staying here long? And she's like, yeah, I'm going to be here all day. My, my boyfriend actually works here, and so I'm just hanging out here. I was like, okay. So I went and got uh, Pastor Josh and Nathan. I think Neil was there and just a bunch of people. And we all came to pray for her. And I asked her, you know, why she was in the wheelchair. And she told us, you know, I thought maybe it was like a pain issue or like some kind of debilitating um, disease or something. But she told us it was some kind of mystery illness where when she stood up, her heart started beating rapidly off the charts. And the doctors couldn't find out, figure out why. She was afraid she was going to have a heart attack if she started walking. So um, I found out later that she was also battling anxiety. Um, she had a sickness where she had lost 50 pounds really rapidly. She couldn't fulfill the things in her life that she wanted to do. So she was actually contemplating suicide. But um, in that moment, I didn't know all that. But I asked her, can we pray for you? And she said yes. So we prayed once. And I, I asked her, you know, is it safe for you to stand up and see how your heart feels? And she said, yeah, I was safe. So she stood up after we prayed the first time. No change. We prayed again. She stood up again. No change. I could feel like, man, the grace for this is kind of leaving. I'm not going to be able to keep praying and trying again forever. But I kind of pushed it a little. And I encourage you guys to push it a little. (laughs) So I pushed it a little bit further, and I just said, let's try one more time. And she said, okay, I'll try one more time. So we prayed. She stood up, and her heart was beating normally. And it was really awesome. She didn't, like, go running up and down the restaurant or, like, walk around or anything because she was still scared, you know? But I walked away from there believing that she was totally healed. And I'm just praying for her in my heart. Father, thank you that she's healed and whole. And so this was, like, November or December of uh, 2017. So I had kind of forgot about it, you know, not really thinking about it after a few months. And then in June... 2018, she walked in the door. And what was amazing is before I left her that day, I felt like I should give her a flyer for overflow and just tell her, we're going to see you walk in those doors. And that's exactly what happened. June 2018, she walked in. She couldn't find me because I'm always back with the kids and kid flow. So she found Pastor Leslie and she was just really emotional, just telling her the story. But that day, that very day, she was totally set free from anxiety, depression. She'd been walking since then. She was gaining weight back at a healthy weight. She enrolled um, to be a medical assistant. She was going to school. And her life had been so busy that she hadn't been able to walk through those doors and tell us. But she had thought about it every Sunday since then. And she finally had the time to come do it. But who knows where she would be if we hadn't taken that little step of faith and prayed for her. Why did she get healed? Because it's God's will to heal everybody, but also because we decided to pray for her. If we hadn't decided, God wouldn't have moved that day. Fear was speaking to us really loudly that we shouldn't step out, that we shouldn't pray. But love outweighed fear. And we decided to take that step of faith. 
You want to know what will bring more of God's activity in our lives? It's our decision to let love be louder than fear. That is going to bring God's activity into our lives. Uh, Matthew chapter 14. You guys are too quick for me. When Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude. He was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. And you see this over and over in scripture. You read the gospels, you look at Jesus. It'll say he's moved with compassion. And then he just, sorry. (laughs) He just comes in, man. And he just heals droves of sick people. He doesn't stop. He just keeps going. And if we give over our self-focused fear, our performance for the love of Jesus, we will be moved by compassion. Jesus will show up in our everyday lives. Pastor Josh has been in this awesome series, Love on Fire. And that's what we're talking about today, living a love life of love on fire. You know, if I got a can of gasoline and I poured it all over myself and I made a little trail and I had Pastor Leslie light a match, do you guys think I would be quiet? Do you think I might make a little bit of noise? That's our picture of love on fire. It's a little crazy. It has something to say. The one thing it isn't is quiet. You know, love on fire isn't like, maybe I'll tell somebody about Jesus. You know, sometimes if they ask about him and nobody else is around to see and I feel like I have all the answers for that question. Love on fire is like, maybe I don't even know the answer. Maybe it's not going to be safe. Maybe it's not going to be pretty. Maybe it's going to be super awkward. But today, somebody's going to hear about Jesus. And that's us. We're supposed to be love on fire. If you're on fire, you're okay with being awkward. You're okay with not being safe. On fire, your priorities get in order. People, a lot of times, they'll tell me, you know, I'm not an evangelist. That doesn't mean you can't be love. It doesn't mean you can't pay for somebody's groceries. You can't talk to the cashier about Jesus. You can't pray for the sick in your workplace. It doesn't mean you can't roll down the window in traffic when you're stuck there and say, Jesus loves you. My friend Matthew, we were hanging out, and uh, he rolls down the window and tells the guy, Jesus really loves you. And the guy's like, yeah, man, he loves you too. It was awesome. And then he was telling me, he was saying, like, you can't always do it if somebody's moving because then it's really awkward. You're just sitting there making this motion, and they're like... So it's better to do it if their window's already down. And I was like, dude, I was thinking to myself, that's amazing. Like, he's done this so many times that he actually has it planned out the best way to do it. Like, I love you, Matthew. That's amazing. But I don't know if Matthew is an evangelist. I don't know if I'm an evangelist. Those offices of ministry are to equip us to do the work of ministry. We're to do this stuff too. It says so in Ephesians 4, chapter 11. It says, he himself, Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. So all those offices, those men of God that are so powerful, they're to equip us to do this stuff. How many of you guys are believers in Jesus? Mark 16, 17 and 18, and there it says, these signs follow those that believe. They lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. 
Tell demons to go and they will. You don't have to have a special office. You just have to be a believing believer. And we can all be that. Christianity, it can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. I could approach somebody randomly in the street and ask them, are, are you a Christian? And they can say yes. But the reality of how they live can be totally different than what Christ intends for them as a believer. Um, Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 13. He gives this parable of the sower. And I'm just going to talk about one of, the, one of the examples that he gives, one of the seeds. But it says in verse 3, He spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. Now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word, understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. So there's a lot of ways we could have came to Jesus. Um, Maybe it was your parents, you know, they brought you up in church, they taught you to believe. Maybe it was a friend that brought you to Jesus or a coworker. Maybe somebody brought you here to Overflow and Pastor Josh led you in prayer and and got you into that first encounter with Jesus. Or maybe one of our amazing prayer team people, ministry teams, led you to Jesus. But somehow there was a sower, somebody that gave you the word. You received it, you believed it. But oftentimes in our culture, we deal with these things called thorns. And it's the cares of this world. It's the deceitfulness of riches. Um, We get a mortgage, we get a job. And then our whole world just revolves around fulfilling these obligations we have in society. And I think that's one of the primary things, if not the primary things, in our Western church world is that's making us unfruitful. It's just chasing the dream of more and more and then focusing on keeping those things safe. And those things, they're not evil in themselves, but they can be very deceitful. Um, Riches, they can deceive us into thinking man, God's really pleased with me. Everything is good. But in, meanwhile, our lifestyle can be totally self-focused and not giving anyone around us Jesus. And I'm not talking about like the millionaires of the world. You know, if you do the research, um, there's this global rich list and it says if you make $20,000 or more a year, you're in the top 3.65% of the world's richest people. So I would say the majority of us in this room, compared to the world, are the elite, richest people. You know, compared to Jesus, we live like kings. And so it's our job to reassess. What am I living for? Am I living to bear eternal fruit? Am I living to bring people into the kingdom? To share God's love with the world around me? Or am I just living to make the mortgage, to get out safe in the end with the most toys?